A Hamas deputy commander captured by the Israeli Navy following an unprecedented terrorist attack in the country's south. We had the latest on this ongoing conflict. Nine U.S. citizens confirmed dead, the latest U.S. response to attacks on Israel and the Israeli Prime Minister's vow to change the Middle East amid Hamas attacks. A purported leaked email from the Canadian Broadcast Corporation tells journalists not to refer to Hamas as terrorists. Find out why. Poland says more than 260 nationals have been evacuated from Israel, but 18,000 Indian citizens remain trapped in the conflict. The leader of the movement to end Jewish hatred shares her response to the Hamas terror attack on Israel. She has stern words for some international leaders who she says have spread a narrative that enables terrorism. The conflict in the Middle East is adding new risks to the global economic outlook. We'll break down the risk to the oil supply. Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers and joining me is my new co-host, Stephanie Cox. Thank you, Chris. I'll be here from now on to bring you the latest news from around the world. I'm looking forward to working with you, Chris. Likewise, it's nice to have some company up here. This show debuted four years ago and it continues to grow and change starting as a 15-minute segment. And soon we'll be at two hours from 11 a.m. starting next week, so I hope you can join us then. NTD was founded by brave souls who fled communism in China to shed light on the truth of what's happening there and around the world. That's right. The long arm of the Chinese Communist Party reaches far beyond China, even to the United States. But we're here to keep the light of truth shining. And now for today's top stories. The third day of conflict in southern Israel and the death toll is rising. Rockets are seen today flying over its border with Gaza. The Israeli military said it captured the deputy commander of the Hamas naval force without specifying where or how he was captured. Israel formally declared war on Hamas after a surprise attack by the terrorists on Saturday. The country's air defenses have shot down some of the rockets fired from Gaza, but it's unclear how many made it through. Some 100,000 Israeli reserve troops have been called up to fight. The country is drafting another 300,000 reservists as fighting with the terrorist group continues. Israel Defense Force said around 1,000 Gaza terrorists participated in the attack on Saturday. More Americans are confirmed dead in Israel. Joining us now is NTD's Iris Tao in Washington. Iris, what's the latest in the conflict and how is the U.S. responding? Good afternoon to both of you. So right now, more than 1,200 people have been killed in this ongoing conflict, including about 700 Israelis and about 500 Palestinians. And Israel on Monday bombarded the Gaza Strip in response to Hamas surprise attack that began on Saturday morning. And now Israel has ordered a complete siege of the Gaza Strip, cutting off all supplies of food, water and electricity. And that's as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Monday said that it's going to change the Middle East through his response. We'll surely keep an eye on what's happening on the ground. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said on Sunday that they're working to confirm reports that Americans were among the dead in Israel. What's the latest confirmation on that? 
So this morning, the State Department confirmed that at least nine Americans have been killed in Israel, with an undetermined number of them still missing. And it's now unclear if those missing have been killed, have been taken hostage, or are still in hiding. The State Department says it's in contact with their families and in contact with the Israeli government as they continue to search for those missing Americans as well as Israelis. And Iris, how is President Biden responding to the war? So President Biden on Sunday called Benjamin Netanyahu about to talk about the situation and he emphasized that there's no justification for Hamas to attack Israel and that U.S. help including military assistance is on the way and that more will come in the coming days. Here's more of what he said over the weekend. Watch. Israel has the right to defend itself and its people. Full stop. There's never justification for terrorist attacks. This is not a moment. Meanwhile, as President Biden calls on other countries to not to take advantage of the current situation, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who is currently in China, meeting with the Chinese President Xi Jinping, and told Xi Jinping that China should condemn Hamas and that he criticized China for its lack of sympathy towards Israel and its foreign ministry statement. So it remains to be seen how countries like China will respond in the coming days. Back to you. All right, thank you, Iris. A Canadian Broadcasting Corporation memo has allegedly instructed reporters not to call Hamas fighters terrorists. A leaked email dated October 7th says, quote, the notion of terrorism remains heavily politicized and is part of the story. The message adds that reporters need context to convey that the term terrorist is, quote, opinion, not fact. The Canadian government has designated Hamas as a radical Islamist nationalist terrorist organization. The U.S. government considers Hamas to be a terrorist group as well. Israeli defense forces say Hamas has taken hostages, including women and children, and killed non-combatants. A branch of the Canadian Union of Public Employees is also causing controversy. The local chapter has deleted a post on X saying Palestine is rising. Long live the resistance. The Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs has condemned the post. It accused the union branch of celebrating the murder and kidnapping of innocent civilians. Neither the Canadian Broadcast Corporation nor the Union of Public Employees responded to requests for comment. Nations around the world are mobilizing to evacuate their citizens from Israel in response to the escalating conflict. And it's not just the death toll nearing 1,300. In addition, Hamas claims to have taken over 100 hostages. Poland and Brazil sent military aircraft to Israel. A Polish government spokesman said their planes had returned to Warsaw with 268 people on board. Meanwhile, 18,000 Indian citizens are also trapped in the conflict. The Indian Embassy in Tel Aviv received requests from a large number of Indian tourists who are eager to return to their home in safety. Thailand reported 12 deaths of its citizens. Eight more were injured and 11 kidnapped. The country's foreign ministry says over 1,000 Thai workers have asked for help evacuating. And Thailand says it will repatriate 15 injured citizens on Wednesday. The Hamas terror group's attack on Israel this weekend has disrupted flight operations in and out of Israeli airports. Several major U.S. airlines are either halting or rerouting flights. 
flight tracking website Flight Radar 24 says Delta Airlines and United Airlines have canceled flights to and from Tel Aviv. U.S. airlines normally operate direct flights from major cities including New York, Chicago and Washington, D.C. Several international carriers such as Air France have suspended flights as well. A plane from Tel Aviv landed in Frankfurt on Monday. Passengers who happened to be in Israel were able to get out of the country. It's a weird situation at the moment. It's, um, I've un unfortunately have to come for work to Germany, but uh, my friends and family are back there. We're all safe at the moment where we live. Tension is quite high. United said it operated two flights to the U.S. from Israel late Saturday and early Sunday. The airline has suspended flights until conditions allow them to resume. Delta says it's monitoring the situation, but that flights have been canceled into this week. What is Hamas's motivation and how should international organizations respond? We speak the leader of the End Jewish Hatred Movement, Brooke Goldstein, for her response to the turmoil. Brooke Goldstein, thank you for joining us. As a leader of a movement to end Jewish hatred, what was your first thought after learning about Hamas's massive terror attack on the Jewish state? The movement and Jew hatred obviously is very concerned as our Jewish people around the world, as is everyone who has a sense of humanity. Uh, my biggest concern right now are the hostages, the innocent men, women and children and grandparents. Uh, one Holocaust survivor, I understand, that were dragged out of their homes or kidnapped from the streets or kidnapped from a party that was happening in the South that are now being killed, they are being tortured. We know that the women are being raped en masse. They are being mutilated. Their dead bodies are then being paraded through the streets in Gaza as Palestinians are taunting them and celebrating and handing out candies. And Brooke, the leader of the Palestinian National Initiative Mustafa Barghouti said Palestinians are like Ukrainians fighting for their freedom. Those following both of these situations know that this, what's going on in Israel is nothing like what's happening in Ukraine. Why is he wrong? Well, I'm happy that you pointed out this sickening attempt at moral equivalence. Freedom fighters don't go around killing women torturing them, raping them, burning whole families alive in their homes, butchering parents in front of their children. These are not freedom fighters. These are terrorist organizations. Hamas is the same as ISIS. They engage in the same techniques and they are funded by the same sources. Hamas is an arm of the Iranian regime, the largest terror sponsoring regime in the world. People who are attempting to sow the narrative of moral equivalence, including, by the way, U.S. Congress people, are justifying terrorism. They're using false narratives like a so-called illegal Israeli occupation to justify the killing of civilians. The moral world must reject this false moral equivalence. They're also advocating to globalize the intifada 
Intifada. They want to bring this type of violence to the United States. And don't forget, Iran has terror cells and its arm reaches globally. That is what they are trying to do, justify terrorism so it can be spread around the world. And Brooke, Hamas knows Israel would respond with just enormous force. Um, they're one of the largest militaries, um, certainly in the Middle East. Why would they do this? Obviously, they have some sort of next move in mind. What do you think that could be? Hamas has been keeping the Palestinian Arabs hostage for many years in an open-air prison where they are torturing their own people. They are recruiting their own children for acts of terrorism. They are using their their own civilians as human shields. That is their raison d'etre. They are theologically motivated Islamist terrorist groups that uh, adhere to a culture of death. They want to sow death and destruction because they believe that they are obligated to do so under their interpretation of Islam. And are you worried uh, that these Islamist groups will use however Israel responds as, yeah, fuel for propaganda going forward? You know, I'm more worried that the uh, NGOs, which are really uh, facades to, again, support this uh, terror uh, appeasement narrative, will use the acts of the the IDF against the Jewish state, as they have in the past. Uh, I want to be very clear. The IDF is the one of the most moral and humane armies in the world. While Hamas revels in killing civilians, the IDF risks its own soldiers to avoid civilian casualties. And yet we have seen time and time again when the IDF goes to contain Islamist terrorism, that organizations like the United Nations, which have been completely perverted, like Human Rights Watch, like Amnesty International, spread a narrative that enables terrorism by demonizing uh, the soldiers of the Jewish state as they work to protect their yeah. own citizens. Brooke Goldstein, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Up next, is China connected to the deadly Hamas attack on Israel? We speak with an analyst about the Chinese regime's role in this new war. And gut-wrenching footage of Israelis being taken captive. A father pleads with the Hamas terrorists not to harm his young children and his wife. More in just a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. Video footage shows Hamas gunmen taking Israeli hostages into Gaza. Israelis are desperate to find their loved ones after the terrorist group launched the surprise attack on Israel Saturday. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Hello. Yami Asher hasn't spoken with his wife Doran since Saturday. She was with their two little girls, two and five years old, and her mother before their phone call was cut off. The next time he saw them was on video, being held hostage and led into the Gaza Strip. I surely identified my wife, my two daughters, and my mother-in-law. 
on uh, some, some kind of a cart and terrorists of Hamas all around them. The last 48 hours have been a nightmare, but he's trying his best to cope. I try to stay uh, strong. It's not simple to know that uh, your two babies and your wife, uh, your entire family, the most precious thing you have is captive. Asher's wife and young daughters are among dozens of other Israeli civilians and soldiers Hamas has captured. Asher has appealed to Hamas to not harm his family. I want to ask of Hamas, don't hurt them. Don't hurt little children, don't hurt women. If you want me instead, I'm willing to come. Noah Argamani was captured with her boyfriend on Saturday morning. The couple was at an outdoor dance party in southern Israel near Gaza. Argamani's friends and family recognized her in a video circulating on social media. What can I say? My whole life, since she was born, I have done my best to protect and to hug her and to support and love her. And now, in this difficult moment, to at least encourage her. His friend Amit Parpaparia described how he felt. Terrorized. It's, uh, I don't think everyone ever has felt such terror and such helplessness. The video shows her taken by men on a motorcycle. She screams and reaches for her boyfriend. I can't, I can't imagine what she's going through right now, traveling with those terrorists in Gaza, waiting for someone to, to send help. Watching the footage was gut-wrenching for Paparia. He says one of the worst things is not being able to help. It's been nerve-wracking to just feel hopeless. You can't do anything. It's the most helplessness I ever felt. Nearly 1,200 people have been killed since Hamas launched its attack on Saturday. Hundreds of Israelis continue to search desperately for their loved ones. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. European leaders and others around the world are reacting to the Hamas attack on Israel. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on that story. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says now is not the time for equivocation. Hamas and the people who support Hamas are fully responsible for this appalling act of terror, for the murder of civilians and for the kidnapping of innocent people, including children. Sunak vowed the UK's steadfast support and said terrorism will not prevail. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen spoke on the phone with Israeli President Isaac Herzog. She offered the EU's full support she also posted on X, I unequivocally condemn the attack carried out by Hamas terrorists against Israel. It is terrorism in its most despicable form. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz wrote on X, We are deeply shocked by the rocket fire from Gaza and the escalating violence. Germany condemns these attacks by Hamas and stands by Israel. The Israeli UN ambassador also reacted to the attacks. These animal-like terrorists broke into homes, gathered entire families into rooms, and shot them point-blank, as if they were stomping on, on insects. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said that Australia unequivocally condemns the attack on Israel by Hamas. Hamas bear the responsibility uh, for this. Of course, this was uh, a, a shock attack 
uh, that was obviously very well planned and I think has shocked the world. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wrote on X that Canada unequivocally condemns Hamas's barbaric, brutal terror attacks and reaffirms its support for Israel's right to defend itself. He called for the immediate release of those being held hostage and demanded they be treated in accordance with international law. Ukrainian President Zelensky posted on X that today's terrorist attack on Israel was well planned and the entire world knows which sponsors of terrorism could have endorsed and enabled its organization. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida wrote on X, quote, Japan strongly condemns the attacks which severely harmed innocent civilians. I express my condolences to the bereaved families and heartfelt sympathies to the injured. Saudi Arabia called for an immediate halt to the escalation between the two sides. The oil-rich country also called for a two-state solution to foster peace in the region. Iran congratulated Palestinian fighters, saying, We will stand by the Palestinian fighters until the liberation of Palestine and Jerusalem. The country's state television showed parliament members rising from their seats to chant, Death to Israel. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Is China connected to the deadly Hamas attack on Israel? India believes Chinese technology was used by Hamas to bypass Israeli defenses this weekend. I spoke with economic and national security analyst Antonio Graceffo for more about China's role in this new war. Antonio Graceffo, thank you for joining us. Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping said over the weekend that Israel should grant independence to Palestine. We know that the Chinese Communist Party, there's always some kind of a, a hidden agenda behind the scenes with them. Why might it be in the CCP's advantage um, to advocate for independence of Palestine? Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, in addition to calling for an independent Palestine, he's also refused to condemn these attacks on Israel over the weekend. And there's a number of reasons why China would benefit from closer ties with Palestine. Uh, this includes undermining U.S. hegemony in the region uh, and also oil, economic interests that uh, China is trading with both Iran and Saudi Arabia, and they need Israel to be out of the picture. Now, we know Iran backs Hamas by providing funding and equipment. You've noted that China and Russia both bypass trade sanctions on Iran, helping them financially. Given this, how should we view China and Russia's role in the attack? So there is there's definitely a link in that, you know, China, China uh, underwrites the uh, Iranian regime and the uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps of Iran is credited with having supported, Hamas credits them with having supported their invasion, helping them plan it, giving them the go ahead. We also suspect that Chinese technology was used to breach uh, Israel's uh, defense perimeter. And should the international community hold China and Russia accountable for this indirect financial assistance? And if so, what should that look like? I think that's definitely going to happen. We've shown that the Ukraine war is showing that the U.S. is very willing, the international community is more willing now to use secondary sanctions. Uh, over the weekend, I believe 25 more uh, Chinese companies were sanctioned for supporting the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And now there's going to be massive sanctions on Russian and Chinese companies that support Iran. And in order to prevent and stop terrorism in the Middle East, do you do measures against the Chinese Communist Party also need to be considered here? 
Well, it certainly needs to be considered. I mean, Iran is known to be a state uh, sponsor of terrorism around the world, and they, they export the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. You know, they, they're, they're present in Syria and various places around the world, also supporting Hamas, who's all over the world. So clearly, uh, you know, Iran is sponsoring these groups, and they're getting a lot of their money from China. And now, you know, we know China in Xinjiang targets Muslims there, uh, but in this instance, they're supporting Muslims. Um, you know, this seems double standard. Yes, China tries to pr uh, to present an image to the world that they're supporting Muslims, and they've got all the Belt and Road Muslim countries uh, to basically keep quiet about what's happening in Xinjiang. Palestine is keeping quiet about what. what what happened in Xinjiang. And so China presents themselves to the world as a friend of the Muslims, and they say that the United States is an enemy of Muslims. All right, Antonio Graceffo, thank you again. The conflict in the Middle East is adding new risks to global economic outlook. Is there a danger to the global oil supply? We spoke to NTD business host Don Ma. Don, will there be a noticeable impact to the U.S. economy? Chris, you know, I think a lot of this will depend on whether the conflict is contained or if it widens. But for now, Chris, I think uh, there will be at least uh, some short-term impact and potentially volatility to U.S. markets, uh, you know, which could impact your portfolio. If the conflict remains limited to Palestinians and Israelis, it could be um, unlikely that we have any, uh, you know, deep impacts to financial markets. But, you know, fundamentally, what we really need to ask ourselves when it comes to whether this will hurt the U.S. economy is whether this is going to, you know, uh, things like disrupt supply chains. Is it going to hurt uh, U.S. consumers? Is this going to damage uh, company earnings? And, you know, Chris, in most cases, I have to say the answer here is no. But, uh, of course, nothing is for a certain. And, you know, we have to wait and see if, if the conflict spreads. So, you know, only time will tell. What will be the impact of this conflict, given that it's happening in a major oil-producing region? Sure. Of course, the danger here is uh, the potential disruption to oil supply. But for this conflict to have a lasting and meaningful impact on oil markets, there has to be a sustained reduction in oil supply or transport. And Chris, we just haven't, haven't seen that yet. But still, uh, there, there have been some reactions from investors in oil markets. Uh, Brent crude, WTI, both went up a few percent over the past few days. Uh, any sustained increase in oil prices would act, in fact, as a tax on consumers and uh, could add to inflationary pressures. So we have to keep that in mind. What will be the impact on the global economy, Don? Now, this could have the potential to deal uh, a blow to economic confidence uh, that the economy uh, stutters. Uh, it could have global central bankers battling new inflationary trends. You know, for central bankers, it poses, poses uh, the dilemma of whether uh, it is likely to lead to new inflationary pressures because 
The region is not just home to major oil producers like uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia, but also to uh, major shipping lanes uh, through the Gulf of Suez. So with the conflict now raging in this uh, major oil producing region, the reaction among traders and major players like Iran and Saudi Arabia will be watched closely uh, to see if another price surge is coming. Uh, and at the same time, trading on bond and stock markets in coming days will actually show how markets anticipate uh, this uh, likely fallout. But of course, right now, these are just possibilities, Chris, that we're dis uh, discussing. You know, it's too early to say what the implications will be. And as I mentioned earlier, we just have to wait. Coming up, a powerful earthquake hit Western Afghanistan over the weekend, followed by strong aftershocks. The Taliban says the death toll has exceeded 2,400 people. And a shakeup is expected in the 2024 presidential race. And RFK Jr. is poised for a major announcement. We'll have the update from the On the Ground when we return. Thanks for staying with us. More than 2,400 people died and 2,000 more injured in earthquakes in Afghanistan over the weekend. That's according to figures from the Taliban regime. It was the deadliest earthquake to rock the quake-prone mountainous country in years. Before we head to the updates, we would like to remind you that some viewers may find the following footage disturbing. The Saturday quakes hit the west of the country, with one reaching a 6.3 magnitude, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Shannon Saik, spokesman for the Ministry of Disasters, said 10 rescue teams have been formed in addition to evacuation and rescue operations in the area. He also pointed out a blood distribution process is going on too, and water and shelter have been provided for the affected people. Some of them are sleeping outside as the earthquakes destroyed more than a thousand homes. Another issue, the health care system which is reliant almost entirely on foreign aid, has faced crippling cuts in the two years since the Taliban took over, and much international assistance, which had formed the backbone of the economy, was halted. The World Health Organization expects casualties from the deadly earthquake to rise as rescue operations continue. An official who visited the region said two-thirds of the severely injured were women and children. That's because the quake happened around 11 a.m., when most men were away from home. And now, some short headlines from around the world. The Kremlin says Russia's presidential and parliamentary elections should be held on schedule, despite what the country calls a special military operation in Ukraine. A presidential spokesman was responding to a close Putin ally who suggested postponing the elections. Russia is scheduled to hold the next presidential election in 2024, and its next parliamentary election is set for 2026. The United Nations said today it is concerned there's no system to return Ukrainian children taken to Russia. Some of those who did come back have reported mistreatment. Ukrainian authorities say they've identified almost 20,000 children who were taken to Russia during the war. Moscow has repeatedly denied forcibly taking Ukrainian children. The International Criminal Court has accused President Putin of illegally deporting Ukrainian children. Government lawyers told Britain's top court today it needs, it, 
its plan to deport migrants to Rwanda to go forward. London's Court of Appeals ruled that the policy was unlawful in June. The court said Rwanda couldn't be treated as a safe third country. Deporting migrants there would make the policy unlawful under Britain's Human Rights Act. The decision dealt a major blow to the prime minister's pledge to stop thousands of migrants from arriving in small boats. Luxembourg's election left the liberal-led coalition without a majority. Opinion polls indicated the center-right Christian Social People's Party was on course to be the largest party. The results would end the prime minister's tenure. The Greens party lost four seats, ending the liberal-led coalition's majority. Meanwhile, the right-leaning ADR party made significant gains. The Democratic Party and the Socialist Workers' Party both gained one seat. Coming up, a coffee van in Australia helps the homeless get back on their feet. The community service provides a social atmosphere and helps them find employment. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. The Israeli military said it captured the deputy commander of the Hamas naval force without specifying where or how he was captured. The country's air defenses have shot down some of the rockets fired from Gaza. At least nine Americans have been killed in Israel and others are unaccounted for. President Biden told Israeli Prime Minister that military aid was on the way with more coming in the days ahead. A Canadian Broadcasting Corporation memo allegedly instructed reporters not to call Hamas fighters terrorists. A leaked email dated October 7th says, quote, the notion of terrorism remains heavily politicized and is part of the story. Poland has evacuated over 260 citizens trapped in Israel. Thailand reported 12 deaths of its citizens in the conflict. Eight more were injured and 11 kidnapped. The leader of the End Jew Hatred Movement said the terrorist attacks in Israel were nothing like Ukraine. She says freedom fighters do not slaughter women. She also called out some organizations for supporting the, quote, terror appeasement narrative. The war in Israel could cause short-term economic turmoil, but an analyst says it won't have a lasting impact on the oil market unless the supply or transport is cut off for a while. A simple coffee van is helping homeless Australians make a new life for themselves. The community service provides a social atmosphere for participants and ultimately helps them find employment. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. This coffee van in Perth isn't just any stop to grab a cup of joe. The workers running it need a hand up, like Sonny McLeod, who has struggled with mental health issues. I would be lost without Grow and Grind. Um, something to wake up to, to go to every morning, a helping hand to all the people that need it um, and the community. Um, and to better yourself. Tackling homelessness with coffee might sound different, but the people behind Grow and Grind say it's the job, the earnings, and the skills that make all the difference. For somebody to, to be able to go out there and get a job with the skills that they've learned on the van, will hopefully uh, you know, enable them to, to build that money up 
and get back into housing or a private rental themselves. Groups like Grow and Grind say services like theirs need more funding and rent relief to help more people. Two years after its launch, the van has helped train more than 50 homeless. What that will do is try and alleviate some of the pressure that so many people are going through and also try and stop more people falling into homelessness. Now Grow and Grind is looking for a brick and mortar space. They hope the cafe could then start employing more people. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Traveling can be a real headache and for some it can even trigger a migraine. But there are ways that you can lower the risk and travel with more confidence. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. For migraine sufferers, traveling often comes at a painful price. The change in habits, schedules, climate and foods can trigger pounding headaches. But with proper preparation, traveling without a migraine attack is possible. Here are a few ideas. Long drives or flights can trigger migraines. Nausea, headaches and dizziness from motion sickness are also symptoms. So if you must use transportation that aggravates symptoms, schedule breaks during long trips. Pull over and take a moment to breathe. Adjust your eyes and move around to improve your circulation. You could also pack an eye mask to limit visual disturbance and overload. Migraines often involve heightened sensitivity to sensory stimuli. This can worsen while traveling. These sensitivities include phobias to light, sound or touch and cognitive and mood changes. People prone to migraines usually have a lower sensory threshold. They may react negatively to shifts in environment like air pressure, temperature extremes, fluorescent lighting, noise, crowds and other exposures. So try to wear sunglasses or a wide-brimmed hat to reduce photophobia. Use noise-cancelling headphones or earplugs to muffle loud sounds and plan your days with printed maps to avoid crowds, long screen time and temperature extremes. Studies show that sleep deprivation may contribute to migraines. Travel disrupts sleep patterns, so try to get extra sleep while traveling. An extra nap on the plane or at your hotel could help. Sacrificing some nightlife or sleeping later may prevent migraines from ruining your trip. Hot sun, high altitudes and long busy days are travel dehydration dangers. Studies show dehydration intensifies physical pain response. People prone to migraines already have a low pain threshold. Dehydration makes them more vulnerable. Having water available can help to prevent headaches and stop them in the early stages from worsening. Research suggests that diet affects migraines. Common triggers include caffeine, processed foods, chocolate, cheese, fried food and alcohol. Try to adhere to your normal diet routines when traveling and maintain a consistent eating schedule. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is leaving the Democratic Party. He's now running as an independent. He made the announcement at an event in Philadelphia where he expressed how he hopes to stand up for dispossessed Americans. He said that Americans are declaring independence not just from the two parties, but from corruption, lobbyists, and media narratives. NTD's Jason Perry is at the event. Let's hear from him now. But first, here's RFK. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate.
an independent candidate for president of the United States. But that's not all. I'm here to join you in making a new declaration of independence for our entire nation. We declare independence from the corporations that have hijacked our government. And we declare independence from Wall Street, from big tech, from big pharma, from big ag, from the military contractors and their lobbyists. And we declare independence from the mercenary media that is here to, to fortify all of the corporate orthodoxies from their advertisers and to urge us to hate our neighbors and to fear our friends. And we declare independence from the cynical elites who betray our hope and who amplify our divisions. And finally, and finally, we declare independence from the two political parties. And, and the corrupt interests that dominate them and the entire rig system of rancor, of rage, of corruption, of lies that has turned government officials into indentured servants for their corporate bosses. We're here in Philadelphia, the birthplace of America. Kennedy has said he's faced multiple roadblocks from the Democratic National Committee to have fair primary elections versus President Biden. Earlier this year, the DNC voted to give President Biden its full support. So what will the presidential polls look like with Kennedy running as an independent? Anthony Lyons is a co-chairman of the American Values 2024 PAC, and he spoke with the Epic Times about this poll that they conducted that was commissioned with Zogby International. And that poll shows that if Kennedy runs as an independent or a third-party candidate in a race against President Biden and former President Trump, Kennedy will start with 19 points compared to 37 or 38 percent for Biden and Trump. And another interesting thing about that poll is that Kennedy will be pulling uh, votes equally from both Trump and Biden in the polls. So if you want to watch this full speech, you can watch it at ntd.com. We'll be live streaming. Jason Perry, NTD News, Philadelphia. That's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. We'll be back with more stories tomorrow.